1: Nine ESPN Missoula. Watch the show
0: statewide on
1: SWX Montana Television. We're seeing a few rays of sunshine out there on a Tuesday afternoon. Hour number two rocking away. Nuwana's Now ESPN Radio Missoula. A little bit of a 90s rock and roll theme throughout Nuanas Now today. And thinking about it, the last two tracks, I guess, rolling with the Bay Area with the 90s vibe. Also, Metallica. And that last group, Smash Mouth, both from out of the Bay Area. Metallica, very synonymous with the city of San Francisco. If you're a fan of the Giants, you know that. They at least show up once a year to play the National Anthem live. The Giants wear the black uniforms. It's awesome. And also Smash Mouth from around San Jose, California, which is about uh, about 70 miles south of the great city by the Bay. Hour number one, a fun one here on Nuanes. Now. We're talking some Major League Baseball in hour number one. Also heard about Treasure State Stars and Class AA Spotlight. Looking at high school wrestling, Class AA hoops, and more across the great state of Montana. Great hearing from Colter Nuanes from those two segments. Before we get rolling here, segment number four, hour, beginning hour number two with some blindside with our producer Andrew Houghton. Mention it in hour number one. It's also a Tagliari Tuesday. $25 gift card available for Tagliari. And today, you're going to text to win because myself and Andrew Houghton are going to be rapping back and forth, talking blindside. We'll see. But text in 406-888-1029 for your chance to win. And it's not that simple. Mention my favorite sandwich being looking at Tagliere, Beach Boy, mentioned a couple of others. What's your favorite sandwich? And do you have a way of having that sandwich that makes it new, unique? Do you like it grilled? Do you like to add certain ingredients? Give us your favorite Tagliere combination when you text to win, and we'll pick a winner. 406-888-1029. Again, text to win. A $25 gift card to Tagliere, whether you're looking for a sandwich on that fantastic bread that is some of the best sandwich bread you'll find. You'll also find some great red wine, some tomato sauce, bada bing, bada boom, if you're looking to make a great Italian dinner, again, from our friends at Taglieri Deli. Now, without further ado, Coulter Nuanez has done this plenty of times, and I've been a part of it a few times, but I believe this is my first time leading a blindside segment where we'll be giving each other Topics of conversation without any sort of readiness, so to speak. And I guess, since I'm in studio, I'll start it off. Just finished up the National Football, or NFL season, National Football League. Of course, the Kansas City Chiefs, they are the proverbial head of the table still. Back-to-back Super Bowl champs. But a big part of this postseason also was the emergence of a couple of young quarterbacks in their first and second years in the league. Of course, Brock Purdy put in that conversation. C.J. Stroud, also at the Houston Texans. Jordan Love, yes, has been around the Green Bay Packers for more than two, two seasons, but this is his first season as a full-time starter. Looking at this group of quarterbacks, Andrew, First or second year NFL quarterbacks, if you are choosing a quarterback in that group today to be your starter moving forward, we're talking five-plus seasons, who are you going to pick as your starter? I would pick my guy out of Green Bay and also Logan, Utah, Utah State, Jordan Love. Well, you can have him because I think the obvious choice here is... (laughs)
2: C.J. Stroud out of Houston. I mean, what a year that he had. I mean, nobody was was expecting that. I mean, there were a a ton of questions about him in the pre-draft process. I mean, there were questions about Bryce Young, too, but with C.J. Stroud, it was, you know, was he going to be mobile enough to be able to survive because he barely ran at Ohio State? Uh, But, you know, the guys who liked him pre-draft were saying, well, look, this guy's arm talent and not just his pure arm talent, but his ability to layer the ball to different areas of the field, his ability to read the field and make the right throw are all off the charts. And we saw that in year one in Houston was most impressive to me, Jeff. Who did he have around him? This was a team that was supposed to be tanking again. This season, I know they brought in C.J. Stroud and they traded up for Will Anderson last year, and both those picks really worked out. The guys throwing to, to Nico Collins and Tank Dell and and people you hadn't heard of before this season, he made them into great players. So what a season for the rookie there. Uh, it's interesting, I guess, who I would take second. I think Jordan Love is certainly up there. I think, let me throw this one back at you, if you put Caleb Williams as eligible for that question as well, where would he slot in for you?
1: See, that's tough. That is tough because people have viewed Caleb Williams clearly as this quarterback prospect that's transcended a lot of different people where it hasn't been the race for the number one pick. It's been the proverbial race for Caleb Williams, which is something that is quite unique and he's a guy that clearly lived up to the hype going at USC won a Heisman Trophy and things didn't quite go the Trojans way this season but it surely wasn't because of Caleb Williams I mean talking about cheese and Jordan Love that defense out there in SoCal looked like Swiss cheese at times so that's a tough one man I think I would have to go with what I've already seen And that's the success of players like Jordan Love and C.J. Stroud. And just thinking about Caleb Williams, he might show up in the NFL and he might be Cade McNown. He might be a guy, another guy thinking about a quarterback out of another L.A. school. He went to UCLA, Cade McNown, first round draft pick out of the Chicago Bears. And because he was in Chicago tying the Bears into it, we know how that played out. Yeah, I mean, I guess the worry is he might end up being Bryce Young, who was who was the guy who was
2: supposed to be the savior last year and was supposed to be sort of a generational quarterback prospect last year. Yeah, I think I'd have I think I'd have Stroud and and Love ahead of Caleb Williams, but for other people in that group, and I, I knew you mentioned Brock Purdy,
1: maybe I'd have Brock Purdy ahead of him too, but I I'd have Caleb Williams up there. Oh yeah, absolutely. I definitely would think he would be in the conversation, and I'm sure there would be NFL teams that would pull the trigger for a guy like Caleb Williams. I mean, it sure seems like the Chicago Bears are ready to pull the trigger on Caleb Williams and move on from Justin Fields, and he's a guy that I know a lot of folks, maybe if you ask a Chicago Bear fan, maybe they're trying to convince themselves that he's the future, but still, it is interesting to move away from a player like Justin Fields that has had at times, glimmers of success with all that athletic ability. I I would agree with that.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. It's just I certainly don't know a thing about projecting quarterbacks in the NFL because this seems like one of the most difficult things to do. I mean, what's the what's the example that everybody always comes back to, right? Patrick Mahomes went behind Mitch Trubisky
1: in the draft. Speaking Oof. of the Chicago Bears, and the Bears moved up to get him. They. Moved up to the number two pick, gave up a whole bunch of stuff to get Trubisky
2: as well. Well, the Carolina Panthers gave up a whole ton to move into the number one spot last year. When really, what they needed to do was move into the number two spot and take CJ Stroud because Bryce Young doesn't really, look like he's struggling there in Carolina, and the guy they picked at number two is one of the best rookie quarterbacks we've seen in a decade. So it's just, I I don't really. There's going to be what I always say, Jeff. There's going to be. A good quarterback who comes out of this draft, at least one, one of these guys is going to be an above-average starter in the NFL. Do I know which one of them it is going to be? I, I don't. Do NFL front offices know what that, what which one it's going to be? They know a little bit more than I do, but really they don't. Uh, so it's just something that plays out over years and years and years, and the the. The book still isn't even closed on C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young, right? These guys don't develop on the same timeline. And just because C.J. Stroud's been incredible and Bryce Young struggled, it doesn't mean that Bryce Young's career is over. It doesn't mean that C.J. Stroud is destined to be a multi-time MVP. It's just so—it's
1: one of the hardest things to project in sports. And that's why it's so fun talking about it, right? Right. And to give Bryce Young a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here as well— he, in a lot of ways, had the franchise and the roster around him that a lot of people expected to be there in Houston. That that offensive line just was having a whole multitude of problems for the Panthers. took them forever to have a rushing touchdown. They didn't have a go-to guy in the backfield where Singletary really came forward for the Houston Tech and Texans. And Andrew mentioned Collins and other weapons on the outside that stepped up for Houston. Where was that in Carolina? I understand that... See, uh Bryce Young has to get the ball out, but if he has no help, that also is a reason for his lack of success also.
2: Yeah, it's so much of it is based like you said on on just what's around them. What the coaching staff situation is, even I mean the Colorado or the Chicago Bears, sorry. we're talking baseball. Colorado (laughs) Rockies on my mind. Chicago Bears, who's the last quarterback that they developed? Jay Cutler, right? It was okay there for a couple years. But then you go through the, the list. I mean, two guys we've already talked about. Trubisky. Fields. Like, I don't have any confidence that even if they do draft Caleb Williams... That he's going to pan out there in Chicago just because, you know, Matt Eberflus, who knows how much time he has left right. as the head coach. Ryan Poles, I, who knows how much time he has left as the general manager, although obviously he fleeced Carolina last year <laughs> into moving up and taking the number one pick. Love that move, right? Loved his move for Roquan Smith. But just who knows how long those guys have. And it's just Chicago hasn't been able to develop a quarterback for for years. And it's, it's guys that... In other situations, I mean, Justin Fields, I'll tell you, I was, I was down in, in Georgia covering Trevor Lawrence right after I, I left college. So sure. That was my first newspaper job ever. Well, Trevor Lawrence was the reason I moved to Cartersville, Georgia, but guess who was playing right up the road? Justin Fields. These two guys were, were going to high school within like 30, 45 minutes of each other. I've seen Justin Fields play since he was in high school. Immensely talented quarterback. He proved it, obviously, at Ohio State. But, like, even farther back than that, incredible talent for a quarterback. Arm, athleticism, everything. Is it a reflection on him that he hasn't been able to succeed with what's around him and and what's, what's in the front office and what's on the sidelines in particular in Chicago? I think
1: partially, but it's not all on him. Absolutely not. And it just seems like there is just a toxic, just black cloud hanging over the city of Chicago. And to a degree, I think the Green Bay Packers have played their hand into that perfectly. I think kind of in a way started with Aaron Rodgers towards the tail end of his career, him going into the corner of the end zone. I still own you that moment. And then Jordan Love kind of carrying the torch Wishing the Bears fans this off-season happy Father's Day. Chicago has to just kind of get out of that, being the team that people picks on. Again, they need to pick themselves up. They need to be the monsters of the midway again. We have Blindside rolling with you. No is now ESPN Missoula. First question down, so to speak. Now I guess it's time for Houghton to put me on the hot seat. Well, here's an interesting one, Jeff, and I just kind of want to get your
2: take because I'm not sure what to make of it. Okay, what do you th- have? You seen Tiger Woods' new golf
1: apparel brand? I heard. Uh, I saw the press releases. I saw a few pictures of him on the podium. I haven't looked at a lot of the memorabilia specifically.
2: Well, what do you th- what do you think about it, uh, Tiger? Tiger Woods? Obviously, he broke up with Nike, and that was in the news a month or two ago. Right. He's got his new apparel line with TaylorMade, which has always been his his golf club sponsor. It's called Sunday Red. Three words, Sunday Red. And uh, the the logos uh, of a Tiger, it's interesting. It's just so weird seeing Tiger and Nike not together, right? Seeing him as something other than Nike polos.
1: Yeah, that, that is very interesting. And I'm sure maybe next week you could hear maybe some of the overlays in business and sports, this being a Tuesday also, a perfect segue talk, talking about Colton Juarez and Justin Angle with the business angle. But, man, you could make the argument that he is in surely in the top three athletes that are most synonymous with with a brand. I would think the only guy who would maybe give a little bit of a jush more would be Michael Jordan with the Jumpman brand and again with Nike. Now, Tiger Woods moving away from Nike, that might w- open up a whole different conversation altogether. Is this a lot about the brand Nike as well versus it maybe being knocked off the perch, maybe just a little bit or? Maybe people just having more options in terms of what they can purchase. Is that something that's looked at? But just thinking about Tiger Woods, you're right. In anything under, other, yes, Sunday Red's still a thing, but it's not the Nike swoosh on that right-hand shoulder.
2: Yeah, I, I, I like those points. What I'm interested in, to take it even another level further, is like, what does this say about golf, that Nike suddenly decides that, you know, they're okay with not having one of their most iconic pitchmen, who also happens to be a golfer, of all time, not hmm. in the stable anymore. Like, what does it say about, you know, I, th- I think Nike, and I, I don't know, Jeff, if you've watched Air, Coulter Nuanes has talked a lot about that movie on the show. Uh, but, like, Nike has always made it a point to be at the forefront of every trend. They're always looking for what's next. They're always looking for how to expand. And when you think about how they signed Michael Jordan, that put them at the forefront of the basketball shoe and apparel industry since then. I mean, they still are.
1: Yes. And yeah, as the movie showcased, looking at how at the time when Nike signed Michael Jordan, Converse was the big name in basketball and how they Maybe Michael Jordan wasn't the number one guy at the time, but they took the risks and they made the right moves to be able to grow themselves in this massive brand. So I'm just saying, like, if that company
2: suddenly decides that they do not need the most iconic and most famous golfer of all time as part of their portfolio, like, what does that say about where they think the
1: sport is going? And and the one reason where this is an interesting point to bring up is. Golf really is at a crossroads right now. Thinking about Live versus the PGA, and they've tried to mend that relationship and bring those two worlds together. But still, it seems like golf is kind of at a crossroads here. And maybe this is Nike saying we don't like where golf is going.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're 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 picking up what I'm putting down here. And I guess you know, I guess. Colter Nuanez, our, our nominal host on this show, talked a lot about when Live Golf split off from the PGA Tour, that this brings an element of excitement back to the game of golf. Because you have heroes and villains, you have these two sort of rival tours fighting against each other, you have a little bit of vitriol in there, and I guess what my hypothesis is is... What if that's just not correct? I mean, it it seems like Tiger Woods represents everything that Nike wanted to market with golf. He's young. He's exciting. People are tuning in for him every week. And then moving away from him and moving away from the game represents where golf is going now, which is like to really understand and appreciate the game of golf, you not only have to have an understanding of the game of golf, you have to have an understanding of like this political fight and these two different business organizations and their political machinations with, like, multiple foreign governments. And, like, that just seems kind of boring to me in some ways. Interesting intellectually, but, like, boring if I'm trying to get into golf. I'm just saying that, like, a 12-year-old who thought Tiger Woods was the coolest thing ever back in 1999 probably doesn't think that, like, learning about the Saudi royal family's involvement in the game and, like, being, like, having to learn, oh, this guy was, like, John Rom right? He was super into the PGA Tour. Then he won the Masters, so he got his exemption, so then he could take the live money. Like, that just doesn't seem all that interesting to the kind of people
1: that Nike would want to market to. And it could be a lot of red flags for people. I'm sure there are people that, I mean, that would would or would not support the sport because of their personal beliefs about what they're doing in live golf and those certain discussions. And we're not going to go down that road of if we agree with what's going on over there or not, but surely it's created a lot of controversy
2: yeah I, I think that's right. so just something something to think about and I think you know hope hope Tiger's brand succeeds. I hear he's playing this weekend who knew that golf season started already uh, but always good to watch Tiger. uh Jeff, I think we got time for one more if you want to throw one back at me.
1: Yeah, we I know you also enjoy action on the hardwood and thinking about we haven't gotten to much of any NBA today. Let's throw this one at you since it's kind of the hot news from last night. And one point you had a promo running on ESPN Missoula talking about this very guy. He's known Wemby, Victor Wembenyama from the San Antonio Spurs. Had one of, if not one of the craziest performances last night a rookie has ever had. 10 blocks, 27 points, also double-digit assists for Victor Wembenyama, the first guy to have 25 points and 10-plus blocks joining a group since the 90s that includes five players, now with Wemby being the fifth. All Hall of Famers, including former Spur and David Robinson, also Akeem Olajuwon, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the list. I'd say that's pretty good, looking at an individual performance. If you're building an NBA franchise right now with a young talent as your focal point, is he the guy? Oh, without without doubt.
2: I think I think I think he'd be crazy to take anybody else and there's a lot of young talent that I love in the league right now. I mean, if we're talking about taking taking anybody. I mean, Shea Gilsis alexander is up there, Jason Tatum certainly is still young enough to be considered for that spot. Chet Holmgren has been magnificent in Oklahoma City and and he's young as well, but what Victor Wembanyama is doing is just unfathomable, and you see him, the thing that's so impressive about him, you see him growing and improving and evolving every night. You call him the alien because he looks so weird, but you can also call him the alien because he's just evolving faster than we've seen, than like we understand how human basketball players improve, right? I mean, he did all that in what, 29 minutes last night? Just under 29 minutes? 10 blocks? I mean, he's going to be As a rookie on a horrible team, he's going to be probably the rookie of the year. He's going to get some consideration for defensive player of the year. He's probably going to make one of the all defense teams, and he should. He's doing all this while playing under 30 minutes a night. You start with that, and then you add to what we're seeing on the offensive end where he's pulling up from three and he's taking guys off the dribble, dunking on their heads, or pulling up for mid rangers. Just the potential is so limitless that I don't really know how you take anybody else. I mean, Chad Holmgren, great basketball player, freaky-looking dude. He at least looks human. Wemby doesn't look human at all.
1: Talking a little, sneaking in, a little take on NBA there. Blindside, fun here in segment number four, hour number two. No one is now ESPN Radio Missoula. Also, our friends SWX Montana and the ESPN MT app. Moving on into segment number five. Looking ahead to the weekend, some talked about the Golden Goat battle on the hardwood high school hoops later this week. But also got the Cats and the Grizzlies coming to Dahlberg Arena this Saturday. The men's and women's iterations of it will be taking the floor right here in Missoula. Colter Nuanes was able to visit with Carmen G. Feller. We'll be hearing that interview later in the week. But we'll hear from Brian Garecki of the Montana State Bobcats after this. No is now ESPN Missoula.
0: visit jshulteilaw.com.
1: This is Nuanez Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. Nuanez Now, ESPN Missoula. Glad you're here on a Tuesday taking you through hour number two. Myself and Andrew Houghton filling in for Coulter Nuanez. Hopefully everything is going well with Coulter. I know he plans on... Coming in studios stem to stern as he says it next week. But glad we've been able to fill in the gaps for Coulter as while he is growing into fatherhood. I do not know what that know what that is like yet, and definitely far away from that. So if mom and dad, if you're listening, no worries, there's nothing coming on the way here, at least at this point. But glad you've been with us here throughout Nihanas now. At some blind side here in Hour Number Two, Treasure State Stars, Class A Spotlight and some talking about baseball in segment number one. If you want to catch anything, if you missed anything in Nuana's Now, you can catch the Nuana's Now podcast brought to you by Schulte Law, the M-Store, as well as the MSU Bookstore. And speaking of the Montana State Bobcats, they will be making their way out to the Garden City this weekend for some action on the hardwood. For the second time this year, the Bobcats... And the Grizzlies will be locking it up. Dahlberg Arena, the men's iteration of the Grizz, will be looking to make it a 2-0 sweep. The Lady Grizz will be looking to even things up as they lost on the road the first time out. We'll hear from Carmen G. Feller of the Lady Grizz later on in the week, getting you ready for action between the Bobcats and Grizzlies. But right now, we'll hear from a member of the Montana State Bobcat men's basketball team, Brian Garacki, man that's been putting up some big numbers so far in the Big Sky Conference, trying to get the Bobcats back in check, so to speak. They've lost three games in a row, sitting at 6-6 six and six in the conference, and they'll look to come out here to Missoula to get it back rolling. Here's Mr. Garacki with Colter Nwanez. Well, big rivalry
0: game times, two on Saturday in Missoula. Montana State coming to town to take on Montana. The women's game at 2, the men's game at 7. Our preview of these two big matchups continue here on Nuanas. Now we're joined now by a senior for the Bobcats, a guy who's having a great season so far there in his first year at MSU. It's Brian Garaki. Brian, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: First of all, just tell us about uh, just your time at Montana State so far. I know you came with Coach Logie there from Point Loma. So what's it been like being in Montana? What's it been like uh, acclimating to life in Bozeman so far?
3: Yeah, it's been a little bit of an adjustment, but, you know, a little ups and downs, but I would say I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I've enjoyed the challenge of moving to a new level at a new place. Um, I've really grown as a person and a player with that, so I'm really thankful for it.
0: Well, you go from one beautiful place to another, but uh... – a lot of different weather, <laughs> probably not as, lot, not as much beachfront property. So what'd you, what have you thought of this winter? I know it hasn't been as harsh of a winter uh, so far, at least for us Montanans. But what do you think of just uh, navigating the snow and things like that?
3: Yeah, well, you know, it just makes you appreciate the sunny days that much more. So it's nice to have something to miss in San Diego and a place I can always go back to. And then, you know, it's, it's nice to just have, have new things in your life and experience things you haven't experienced before.
0: From a basketball perspective, uh, sort of on the ground floor here of, of uh, a new era there at MSU with, with Coach uh, Logie taking over, but you are so familiar with Coach Logie. So what's that process been like, you know, sort of trying to build this new program there at Montana State, but also you having so much familiarity with the coach?
3: Yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, it's really special. And, uh, you know, with that, there's a lot of responsibility as a player. Um, I have a lot of other players you know, looking to me, asking, you know, how he runs the show. Um, so I have responsibility on my shoulders to set a good example and be part of building the culture that we want to build here. So,
0: Brian Garaki, yeah. you're on Nuwad is now ESPN Radio. Montana State takes on Montana on Saturday evening, Dahlberg Arena. What have you thought of just the first half here of Big Sky Conference play? I know you're probably maybe a game or two into the second half here now, uh, but what have you thought just the way you guys have played? What have your impressions been just so far of the Big Sky Conference?
3: You know, I think it's, it's encouraging. We've played some, uh, played some really good games, and we've played some not-so-good games, but we know that our, uh, our potential for greatness is high. Um, so we're just trying to get better each and every day uh, to prepare ourselves for that conference tournament and give ourselves the best chance to go to March Madness.
0: And when it comes to the matchup with the Grizzlies, I know you got uh, one under your belt, the one in Bozeman, now coming to Missoula. What do you expect and what do you remember from that first matchup uh, Maybe maybe can help you in this one?
3: Yeah, um, I think we just need to be a little more focused on uh, on ourselves and, and um, what our game plan is and try to execute our stuff and not so much worry about the outside noise and the fans and all that. So, you know, it's, it's time to get one back since they got us the first time.
0: Just learning about the rivalry, what's that process been like for you? Have you, have you learned anything maybe you didn't expect just about the rivalry with the Grizzlies?
3: Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a little stronger than I thought it was. Uh, people are very passionate about it. I grew up in Oregon, so I was part of that Civil War rivalry with Oregon and Oregon State. So I'm, I'm familiar with that. Um, but it is cool to be a part of it. Um, but, you know, for us, it's just, it's just another basketball game. Um, I know it means a lot to everyone. But, uh, you know, we try, to, we try to approach it with the same mindset as we do any other game.
0: You guys have shown some, some great flashes so far uh, this year and have a couple big-time wins. When things are going mm-hmm. well, what is going well at Montana State? I mean, what, what are you guys doing well when, when you guys are having the results that you want?
3: Yeah, well, I think it's really more less so much X's and O's and more, more of an attitude thing. Um, I think when we're, when we're very positive and encouraging each other and bring high energy, I think good things tend to happen. Um, and then we'll, sometimes we'll go through... Little lulls where we're not as energetic, and so that you know that doesn't uh, doesn't help us very well. And then just you know being together all the time.
0: A couple of guys have been playing really well. You've been playing really well yourself, first and foremost. And congratulations on a great start to your senior year. But I want to ask you about Robert Ford because he's just done it all for you guys so far this year. What sort of uh, element does he th- do? You think he brings? What are the, the biggest strengths he brings to the Bobcats?
3: Yeah, I mean Rob's just an ultimate competitor. Um, you know, very skilled basketball player obviously but what really separates him is his mentality. You know, he just he's nonstop. He doesn't doesn't quit, doesn't back down to anybody, you know. So there's there's a lot of fight in him and I think that's his biggest biggest strength.
0: And for you, I mean what has given you the ability to have so much success here, your first season in the Big Sky conference?
3: Yeah, well I think it, it does help, you know, coming with a, a coaching staff that I'm comfortable with. Um and that there's already a, a relationship built there and some trust. Um and then you know just belief in myself, you know, um knowing that I was at a, a high-level Division two program and knowing that the success there would translate and just trusting the work I've put in.
0: Yeah, I covered uh, Division two for a couple years, covered Central Washington for a couple of years. It was when they were uh, really good in Division two. and I remember covering a couple of regionals. And then coming back to cover the Big Sky, I honestly think the high-level D2 is, is very comparable. What do you think? I mean, how big of a transition has it been or has it not been much of a transition at all?
3: It's a little bit of a jump. I would say definitely that, you know, the size and physicality is there. But uh, for me, positionally, I think I have good size. So that hasn't been too big of a factor. Um, and it's really, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's not as big of a jump as I, as I anticipated. Um, you know, high-level Division II basketball is, is just as good, if not, you know, at times better than mid-major, call it Division One.
0: Absolutely true. I think you see it too with some of these guys from the Big Sky that have gone now up to high major conferences, and they're all contributing at a high level uh, as well. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe, as Coach Logie says, a lot lot of gray area between levels uh, in college. Brian Garaki joining us here on ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television and the ESPN MT app. He's one of the leading scorers for the Montana State Bobcats as they make their way to Missoula to take on the Grizzlies for a rivalry game on Saturday night. Uh, a little bit more about this matchup. I mean, what are some of your guys' keys, Who, especially defensively? Who are you guys keying on when it comes to Montana? And uh, what's the scout look like coming into this game? Yeah, um,
3: well, Moody kind of lit us up last last time. So uh, we're focused on, you know, taking away the three-pointer for them um, and then just, just being really solid and sound. We've had a couple games recently where we've been been up late and then we weren't able to close so you know we've been practicing some some situational stuff just making sure we're prepared um you know we anticipate a really highly competitive game so just trying to stay poised and and uh and composed down the stretch
0: well should be a good one saturday night dalberg arena with msu in uh town in missoula to take on montana Brian, thanks for joining us, Ben. Nice to meet you, at least uh, over the phone here. And uh, we'll catch yeah. up with you down the road, but best of luck on Saturday. Yeah, thank you for having me, and thank you.
1: So there it is, Brian Garaki of the Montana State Bobcat basketball team visiting with Coulter Nguanez. Thanks, thanks to Coulter for giving some of that. As we said, we'll be visiting with members from the Cats and the Grizzlies throughout the rest of the week getting ready for those matchups on the Hardwood. Dahlberg Arena, Saturday, Montana State taking on Montana. Women's game at 2 o'clock. The men's tip-off at 7 o'clock. Looking at action going there at Dahlberg Arena. Looking at segment number six, the last segment on a Tuesday afternoon. Maybe get some more blindside. We'll have to wait and see what we got planned for you as we wrap up the show here on Nuanas Now, Western Montana Sports Leader, ESPN Radio Missoula, SWX, and that ESPN MT app. Back to take you home after this. One, two, three. Is now on ESPN Radio. We've been. All around the world and sports here on a Tuesday. Glad you're with us as well. Wrapping up an edition of Nuanas Now. Myself, Jeff Safford, along with Andrew Houghton behind the glass, producing today. Filling in the shoes of Coulter Nuanas. We've heard from Coulter Nuanas throughout the show, but still getting his feet wet in the fatherhood world. So we've been stepping up and having some fun here on Nuanas Now, filling in the gaps for Coulter Nuanas. Appreciate the opportunity to do so here on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. It's been a fun show to this point. Got rocking and rolling with some action from the Diamond Baseball with spring training beginning tomorrow and Thursday. Also heard about some Class AA hoops in hour number one and your Treasure State Stars. Had some blindside in hour number two. Heard from a Montana State Bobcat hoopster in this hour as well. And to wrap up this edition of Nwanez now, we'll go back to the blind side, maybe go to some other topics we didn't touch on here in the first iteration of blind side. And for my blind side, I'm going to take it to the college basketball world and take it to one that's been touched on. You'll hear a lot about women's hoops tomorrow with Krista Redpath in studio with Coulter Nwanez talking about women's basketball in the Big Sky Conference. But we're going to bring in, I think, a very unique athlete. And Coulter and Krista were talking about this player for a time, and she's been getting a lot more recognition this season, I felt, compared to last, thinking about Caitlin Clark, the superstar from the University of Iowa. Now, there's been a lot of important figures in terms of of women's sports and growing women's sports. But Andrew, I don't think that there's anybody in this generation that's been more important than the growth of a, sig- a growth of a individual sport. Thinking about women's basketball, what Caitlin Clark has done for women's basketball than anybody in this generation, thinking about other sports in women's basketball, whatever sport you want to look at. What say you? That's a good question, Jeff. Uh, Yeah,
2: I'm trying not to fall victim to recency bias here just because Caitlin Clark is doing this now and we're watching her now and we've forgotten about some players in the past. But even working through that, I think that this sort of, this final tour here is she's going to break the career scoring record is sort of unlike anything else that we've seen before. And that's not to, uh, you know, discount the accomplishments of other players. The, the one I thought of instantly is is somebody who you'll be very familiar with just a couple of years ago. Sabrina Ionescu at, at Oregon, uh, when she was putting together those crazy triple doubles at Oregon, that's always sort of the, the number one hook. For people who maybe aren't familiar with the sport, who suddenly get drawn into it. The craziest individual statistical performances I've always found is one of the the biggest ways to draw attention. So, somebody like Sabrina, thinking back to when Brittany Griner was at Baylor, that was certainly uh, a phenomenon.
1: Yep. Thinking about the dunks and how that was... Something that nobody had really seen before? Absolutely.
2: Again, something unique. That's what draws people in, whether it's statistical performances or Brittany Griner literally doing something on the court that had rarely been done before. Uh, so, So players like that, certainly, you know, it's interesting because looking at the history of women's college basketball... I think all the great UConn players maybe don't get their due just because there have been so many great players from UConn. So it's difficult sure. for one of them to stand out, right? Like Brianna Stewart or Maya Moore or or before them Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, right? It's, it's difficult for them to stand out in, in people's minds. But yeah, I mean, what, what Caitlin Clark is doing and... and you know, maybe I, – I don't want to say too much here. Maybe Rajim would have something to say about this, why she's grabbed the public's imagination like this as well. She, You know, she's she's a white player. She goes to college at, at Iowa. You know, great story there. Midwestern girls, she just happens to be white. She's setting all the records. That's interesting too, but I think even um, – you know, accounting for that, what she's doing has been incredible. She's incredible to watch, of course. And I'm not surprised that it's it's bringing people to the sport because that's the other thing. The individual accomplishment brings people in, so does just being fun to watch. You have people who have never watched women's college basketball in their life. Well we want to see the girls shoot thirty five footers and make them.
1: And that's exactly what Caitlin Clark does on a regular basis. And that's exactly why folks want to watch Caitlin Clark shoot the basketball against maybe the best that's ever done it in Steph Curry in a few weeks thinking about the All-Star game for the NBA. So that's wild to think about. Maybe room for one more blindside. Andrew, do you got anything else?
2: Well, let's keep it on the college basketball. I had a couple locked and loaded for you here, but let's keep it on the college basketball. Let me blindside you here, Jeff. Who's the number one ranked team in men's college basketball right now? Connecticut. Correct. But who are the top contenders? It just feels like there's no team that's really established themselves. And maybe UConn's fallen a little bit below the radar because they're the defending national champions. But generally, it seems like at this point in the season, we have a couple teams who everybody knows is going to be there at the end. This year... I mean, Kansas has dropped a bunch of games. North Carolina has dropped a bunch of games. Nobody really other than UConn and maybe Purdue has really risen up and established
1: themselves. What do you make of that? You know, I was thinking about, this is a good one to bring up because I was actually thinking about this with myself the other day, just kind of driving down the road, thinking about kind of college basketball, taking the torch, and so to speak, with the NFL and Super Bowl having kind of Gone to pasture, so to speak. Now we're going to start thinking about March Madness and the push to the tournament. And you're exactly right, Andrew. It, it's the spot where there isn't a team that's carrying the flag. We don't have a John Calipari Kentucky juggernaut this season. There isn't a UCLA Bruin team just dominating. We're, don't do team. Gonzaga, Gonzaga is not ranked this season. Yeah. I mean, a number of teams that. I've been there in the past, and we've seen programs like Houston come into the top five that you wouldn't consider a quote-unquote blue-blood program. So, yes, and it should, in my mind, point to a very interesting NCAA tournament because you're right, a lot of these teams in the top ten recent games, you brought up Kansas. Last night, they got housed by Texas Tech on the road, losing by 20-plus. That just goes to show where teams have run into trouble. UNC, at home this last week, lost to Clemson at home, ranked in the top five.
2: Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's a really accurate diagnosis. I don't really want to talk about how inconsistent Kansas has been with me being a Jayhawks fan. But you're right. I mean, UConn obviously is a blue blood. The rest of the top five, though, Purdue, Houston, Marquette. Okay, Arizona's right up there, too. Arizona sure. has a great yeah. historic program. And
1: you could but say Ar- Marquette, maybe, think about D. Wade. School, and-
2: but even, I, those schools, even Arizona, they're not Kansas, they're not North Carolina, they're not Duke, they're not Kentucky. No, no. And, and, you know, we don't have any of those schools in the top five. I think, you know, Kentucky's been really inconsistent this year. Duke has been... All of those schools that I mentioned have been inconsistent this year, so it is interesting. Of course, I'm not counting out any of those teams either, but I think you're right. Unless UConn just runs through it like they did
1: last year, I think it's going to be a very interesting tournament. And quite honestly, we maybe buried the lead with Purdue also. They've been, let's just say, susceptible to losing on the big stage as well. Yeah, absolutely right.
2: I mean, you can't trust that team after what they did last year. No. So, so maybe do we see, you know, a Marquette, a Houston. I mean, those teams have been up at the top of the of the national rankings for several years now, but they're again, they're not what you think of. And also, I mean, St. Mary's is ranked and Gonzaga isn't ranked this year. Indiana State is ranked right I now was about for the to first bring time since... <laughs> Larry Bird, the Hick from French Lick, was in Terre Haute. Like <laughs> it's just that's kind of fun to fun to watch. I mean Dayton, I'm looking at Dayton 16th in the nation, Creighton 17th, St. Mary's is 18th, BYU is 19th. FAU, all those, yeah, they're all, still ranked. All those schools, you know, could they be getting a top four seed going into the tournament and really be in position to make a run?
1: I mean that to me, if you're college basketball. That's exactly what you want. You want chaos. You want craziness. You want madness. And it sure seems like we are headed that way this season. And where will the Big Sky Conference play into that? Andrew, do you think there's anybody in the Big Sky that potentially could put something together and maybe get a win or two in March? Well, it's tough
2: to say yes to that question just because it's been, again, so long since Montana in, I believe, 2006 beat Nevada. I think that was a 12 against a 5. It really comes down to getting that seed that you got to get 12 or a 13. If you're, if you're, Play, if you're a 14 seed you're playing one of the top ten teams in the country. That makes things really difficult. But I love this Eastern Washington team this year. Dylan Jones is an NBA prospect at Weber State. Those are the kind of, of teams that you want to bet on that I as a big sky fan want
1: to bet on. So we'll see. Having fun here, blind side, hour number two, also heard from the Montana State Bobcat men's basketball team, a lot of fun, and hour number one as well. You can hear all of it in the One is Now podcast be posted quickly after this show. Time to get out. Nuana is now ESPN Missoula.
0: Colter Nuwana is from ESPN Montana here at the M-Store.